You know, in worship, the Lord is rightly aligned in our lives. That's why the scriptures tell us that in worship, uh, we enthrone God, not because he isn't already on the throne, but because we, in our action, put him in our lives in the right place. And uh, <clears throat> I think we have experienced the pleasure of our great God this morning as we have worshiped together and as we continue to worship together in this great place together. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, <clears throat> as we uh, come together now around your word, uh, I pray that you would um, uh, enlighten our hearts <clears throat> to the uh, greatness of what we have here before us. You are an amazing, gracious, great God. And you have revealed yourself, all that you are, your nature, what you uh, desire, your commands, all have been given to us. And we are enriched beyond measure because of this. And so, our Father, I pray that we might uh, truly uh, represent hearts that are grateful for your word and what it means to our lives by how we treat it. And I pray this morning, oh God, that we would have hearts that are uh, inclined to yield to what you teach us, to what you desire for our hearts. And we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit of God to uh, draw us to the truth and cause us to welcome it. And so we do ask you for this. We know we are praying in the will of God, and we thank you that you hear us and you answer our prayers. We praise you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing nasty about these kind of microphones is you can't do much about clearing your throat. You used to be able to walk away from the pulpit. <laughs> but now it's just out there. So, with that as an introduction, do you have your Bibles with you this morning by any chance? Because we're going to be hanging out in 1 John chapter 5. I, I was... Um, Sort of giving a, I was thinking a lot about analyzing where I am emotionally or the state I'm at emotionally these days. And I, I've narrowed it down to sort of this, and I wonder if you aren't with me on this. Seems like every day I find myself going, what? I can't believe this. But not in a good way, generally. As, you, as the, the world around us continues to, to throw things our way, it, I just find myself um, mostly incredulous. And, uh, you know, I was listening this week and, and the, um, the newest medical report, have you heard this, that, that uh, it's not cholesterol that's going to kill us guys. It's high blood pressure. In fact, if they can get our blood pressure down to 120, that's the top number, if they can get us down to 120, 25% more of us will live longer. I want to hear a big shout of, like a shadow from our wives. Yeah, see, see, this is why I'm going, what? I can't believe this. The women aren't even excited about that. And, you know, I've been thinking as well, uh, another one of these what's that sort of hit me is, is um, it's, it's becoming apparently obvious to me that, that the Leafs might actually break out and do something this year. And that's, that's causing me to have one of those what moments. I mean, they've hired Babcock and Lou Lamorella. And the, like the, the intelligentsia of hockey is now at the helm of the Leafs. It's making me a little bit nervous. I, I, I've got to admit it. And, and who of us would have thought that, 
that well into September, the Jays would be having a meaningful year. What? Are you telling me? So, so there's more Jays fans than Leafs fans. That's good. And, uh, you know, who would have thought that they'd go into Yankee Stadium, like, in September and sweep them? Well, I know we have some business to do today, but pray for R.A. Dickey that, that he comes through. I think the man proposes to be a believer, and so we can pray for him. But, um, you know, that was another one of those, what? I can't believe this. Um, also, another one that popped into, not, not so many months ago or years ago, was, um, hey, you know you can wear brown shoes with black pants now? Like, that's like a, what? I can't believe that. You know, one, one Sunday, uh, the fashion police accosted me here at Calvary. And uh, that, if you want to know who that is, it's the late Bob Hooper. Remember Bob Hooper? And, yeah, of course. And, uh, and, and he was the fashion police, and he came out, and he said, Rick, listen, you know, I, I generally like the way you dress, but you don't wear brown with black. And I remember for 30, 35 years that was true. But uh, I'm here to tell you that that's one of those, what? I can't believe it. You can wear brown with black. And um, so there I am, wearing brown with black. Um, but in a more serious note, one of the big what's, I can't believe this, is there was a time when the disclaimers about what you should watch or listen to were on television or some other media where it would say, uh, beware or, or, or here, here's a warning that the contents of this program might not be suitable for all viewing audiences. You know those disclaimers? I never thought I'd live through the day when there should be a disclaimer in public schools that said the content of what might be taught here might not be appropriate for all audiences. You know, we need, to be, we need to be in prayer for our teachers. They are truly champions of our culture. And they have a really, really tough job ahead of them in this changing climate. I'm basically thinking, what? I mean, the things that are coming through and the suggestions for curriculum and all, I'm going, what? I can't believe this. I think John, the pastor at the church in Ephesus, was kind of living out what I'm feeling these days. I think he was, when he was writing this epistle, he was going, what? I can't believe this. He, he, someone would come to him and say, guess what someone told me in the church? That we should be believing. He'd go, what? I can't believe this. So if you have your Bibles in, in uh, 1 John and chapter 5, John nicely summarizes for us here what really I'm calling our Christian credo, who we are what we believe. I'm, gonna, I'm going to explore with you 10 different uh, foundational points about Christianity. It seems to me that the reason we are where we are today is because of the idolatry of humanity, the idolatry of the man, the idolatry of the woman. Whatever we feel, however we're emoting, whatever, however we can please, whatever we think we should, it's, it's all about that and there seems to be no moral guideline. The, the moral, the starting point for what was morally the standard for all of us, whether we're believers or not, has shifted so far. We don't even, I don't even know where the starting point is anymore. And that's alarming enough, but, but what's even more alarming and what was alarming for John and his church is whatever happened to a consistent, uh, foundational, 
agreement together of what Christianity really was, of what the foundational truths really were, was, what is, what doctrine, what the Bible teaches, what in the world is going on, in my opinion, the greatest, what, I can't believe that, is the constant uh, interaction I'm having in social media, internationally, and in our, our so-called brotherhood of Christianity, I'm going, you, what in the world are you believing, and why are you believing that, and where did you get that from? And this is what John encountered in his church. I think this morning, what we're trying to do is make a bridge to our series that we're going to do in, in the fall called Learning to Live in Christian Community, and it's really going to be important we, we really can't learn how to live in Christian community if we don't even agree on what Christian community is. We don't even agree on what Christian is. And so I think John is going to make a nice bridge for us into the teachings in 1 Corinthians, even though it's kind of a, a, a backwards thing because 1 John was written after 1 Corinthians, but they were both written, interestingly enough, from the same city, the city of Ephesus, which is like crafting theology from San Francisco. It's, uh, it's kind of that reality. And so... Uh, there's probably about 35, maybe even 40 years difference, and, and you, you can read, when, when we get to 1 Corinthians, we're going to see, man, the struggles and the problems we were having in the church were not resolved, and here's what you get in a church when you don't resolve doctrinal problems and doctrinal issues. And so I submit to you at Calvary this morning that I hope, I pray, I believe that we're going to agree on these points. Because I think... What I'm bringing to you is from the scriptures. And so we're going to go through 10 points rather quickly this morning. I, won't, I will probably cruise over some faster than you like, but we've talked about a lot of these things through the summer, so much of this is going, some of this is going to be rehearsal and some of it won't be. And so if you're ready with your water-cooled pens, we're ready to dig in in what we or who we are, a community credo. And the first is this found in, we'll read the scriptures as we go. The first three verses of chapter 5. Here we go. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. We would, we'd, would have thought when we were reading this that he would say, we, we're nice to them. We give them what they want. And he says, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Isn't that interesting? This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So the first who we are is this. We love God and his children. And those two realities are indivisible. We live in a world that claims or tries to claim, well, I, I love people, I get along with people, I think people are very important, therefore God would be okay with that, I think I'm in good space with God. I don't listen to anything God has to say, I don't do anything God has to say, but I like people, I love people, so I think it's okay. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches this clearly. You must love God by obeying his commands, and you must love his children, those who are in the family of God. You cannot separate the two. In order to say that you love God, you must also be loving his children. In order to, in, in order to uh, claim you're loving his children, you must love God by obeying his commands. These two work together. I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time in that. This, we've been probably doing three, two or three at least sermons on this reality. But it is out there in our midst, in the reality of the people you have to deal with. And the simple truth is... 
You have to love both God by obeying all of his commands and love his children, those who are in the family of God. The most loving thing that you can do for people is to press upon them the truth about God, the truth of his commands, to teach them how to love him and, and what pleases him. That's the most loving thing that we can do for people. We love God and we love his children. We keep going. Verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The second is this. We overcome the world and its ways. We are no longer victims or dupes to the ways of this world. The thinking, the, the acts, the reaction of the world, the patterns of the world. We are no longer, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ is of standard reality, of foundational, basic, doctrinal truth, we are no longer victims of the world and its system. We have been liberated from that. Why? Because our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has overcome the world. And he's bringing, he brings us along with him. And so we have this, the power and presence of Christ in us. It, it makes the point here, this is the victory, verse 4, that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in Christ. The power and presence of Christ enables us to say no to the values, the thinking, the reactions, the actions of the world. And we are overcomers. We no longer say, I can't get over this in my life. We are overcomers by the strength of Christ, by his power and presence in our lives. That makes us no longer choose worldly ways. It enables us to not seek fleshly solutions to our situation. They're of no value to us. We seek the power and presence of Christ. That is what makes us Unique and in this family and this great fellowship of the people of God. Verses 6 through 10. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by, wa but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony, of God, the testimony God has given about his son. Uh, a little bit of backdrop again to catch us up. What is John writing? Why is he writing this? John is faced with this situation in his church that we face all of the time, which is everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's saying something about, well, I believe this, well, I believe that, well, I believe this thing. And John's basically saying, stop it! There's only one testimony that matters. What does God think? All right? It's God's testimony is what counts. Because God is greater. Why is it 
that we are enamored by the ideas and notions of man, media, and all kinds of ideas and notions. And God has all along been trumpeting the truth. And we're like, well, you know, that's nice. But, but this is what this person says. So John is losing it here. He's just saying, hey, listen, there's only one testimony that really counts. And it's been demonstrated to us in three different ways. Through water, through baptism, through the Spirit. And so we believe God. You know, when we're, when we're, um, you know, when we're asked the grand question, what is it you believe? It's a real simple answer. I believe God. That's what I believe. That's who I believe. And that's what John is proposing here. He is saying all of this stuff that's upsetting his church and all of these doctrinal aberrations, what in the world? He's saying, listen, it's the testimony of God regarding Jesus Christ. Now, I've got something to say in a few moments about our commonality or our lack of commonality in the terms of the word God. The word God is not how we are living in common with humanity. It is the testimony of a particular God about a particular Savior that makes us part of a common community. The Christian community is unique and particular And there is only one God, and he testifies about Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures teach. Now, I want to take you on a quick journey here, because what's the water? What's the blood? We know what the spirit is. Look, would you turn back in the gospel of John to John chapter 1? And we're talking now about um, the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're going to visit John the Baptist for a moment. And John, the apostle, in recording the event with John the Baptist in John 1, writes this, verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, meaning Jesus. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water, i.e. God the Father, told me. And this is what God told him. This is the testimony of God to John the Baptist. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, over in Matthew chapter 3, in the, uh, Matthew's record of the baptism of Jesus, we have this taking place, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3, 16, he went up. I bet you I beat the electronic guys. I, I was there like in, in an instant, like in a flash. Anyway, everything's a competition for me. Anyway, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was open, listen, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So John says, you're listening to men talk about whether Jesus was 
was um, uh, temporarily, uh, in, uh, um, uh, temporarily had the spirit of God in him, but he was just a man, and he had this life and all this. He says, you're listening to men. I'm talking about the testimony of God. That's what I'm talking about. And so then he says, okay, so this is the baptism, and then he moves on to John chapter 12. John 12, 27. There in a flash. All right. Now, he says, my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? This is Jesus again. Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now listen. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So here is the witness and testimony to the blood. God the Father is now testifying to Jesus as Messiah, as anointed one, the one that had come on mission to be Savior. Now we go to John chapter 15. John 15, 26 to 27. Jesus is, is stating this. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So John is saying these are the three testimonies. The testimony of God at the baptism of Jesus, the testimony of God with respect to the blood, the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus, and the testimony of the spirit of God, who is the spirit of truth. And you're listening to the babble of people over the testimony of Almighty God? We believe God about Jesus Christ. Any so-called spirit that conflicts or is at odds with the revelation of Jesus Christ as recorded is not the Holy Spirit. You cannot have God and disbelieve his revelation, written or living. And the word God is not our common denominator. Our common denominator is the testimony and truth of the God of heaven about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now you've, you have to roll back and think about this for a few moments and who's, who's proclaiming this letter. It's John the Apostle. I mean, he's talking about the three testimonies of God the Father, but he's also able to say, and I was there. I was at the cross. I was at the, the empty tomb. And not only that, in the church of Ephesus, guess who else was there? Jesus' mother. Go ask his mother. She's sitting over in the pew right over there. I mean, can you imagine being in that church? Well, I guess I go talk to Mary and see if this is all true. I mean, are you, are you, are you grasping this? And so the testimony that Jesus gave is, and you, you will be my testimony as well to the truth, armed with the confidence of knowing that this has come from God the Father, the only true God to us. So we believe God. We also believe that we have eternal life and that it comes through Jesus Christ alone, verses 11 and 12. 
And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son is life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Hey, listen. Do you know that you don't have an expiry date? You might open up your fridge when you get home after this service and you might pull out, you know, something and be like, expires October 12, 2015. But you don't have an expiry date. Yeah, that's about the same re reaction I got in the first service. Oh, that's nice. I mean, you're going to live forever. All right. The Jays got a better cheer than that. You think Jesus, you think Jesus didn't notice this? It's like, wow, I give them eternal life. The Jays have a good weekend. Whoa! This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is found and is only available in his son. The person who has the son has life. The person who does not have the son does not have life. No matter how nice a person they are. The urgency of our mission is to go find really nice people and help them to find their way to Jesus Christ. Because if they don't, they will never have life. They will never have eternal life. They have an expiry date. When our bodies shut down, and they will one day, we just go on living. This is an amazing truth. This is what we believe. We believe that eternal life comes through Jesus Christ alone. At stake in this belief, in this credo we're talking about, what John has presented to us here, is our very salvation, our rescue from sin's terminal disease. It all hangs on a particular truth. It's not a broad truth. We don't have a generous gospel. We don't have a generous truth. We have a generous God. But the truth is very specific and very particular. Salvation is very, very particular. Who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Who has the Son has life. Now, I need to ask you this morning, in the, inter in the interruption of this sermon, normally saved till the very end, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? He's available to you right now, right this morning. You can receive Him today, but you must have Him to have life. Are you believing God? Are you believing the testimony and the doctrine, the foundational truth of the apostles who are the foundation of the church? Have you gone public with your faith that you actually are a believer and are following Jesus Christ? Have you undertaken the, the verba visibilia, as the Latins would say, the, the visible uh, words that you believe? Have you, have you taken uh, the truth of the gospel that I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I am following him with all of my heart? Have you taken that public and have you stood before a church congregation and been plunged into the waters of baptism and demonstrated 
your identification with this Jesus Christ? If not, why not? Because it says in the Bible, if you love God, you obey his commands. His command is go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. Why, if you love him, would you not be involved in his command? I'm going to be baptizing next Sunday morning. If you have a testimony of belief in Jesus Christ and he is your Savior and he is your Lord and you haven't been baptized as a believer, then next Sunday is your day. What's stopping you? Because we believe that eternal life comes through Jesus Christ alone. And we have confidence to believe that. And we can't do life together until we have life. The key to the epistle is found in this verse 13. Look at it. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What was so distressing to Pastor John of Ephesus was the insecurity that had bubbled up in his congregation. This person was saying that, that person was saying this, and they had lost their confidence that they were in the truth. Nothing is worse for a pastor than to think that the people who really know Jesus Christ are really insecure about that they know Jesus Christ. You either know him or you don't know him. The reality is that, that John wants us, the Lord wants us to be confident. To be confident that we know him. To be confident that we have eternal life. To know that we have eternal life. So that you may know. I have written these things. I have written this truth. I have shared with you the testimony of God. I, your pastor, Rick... Not John, Rick, I have shared with you this morning, I am sharing with you this morning, the testimony of Almighty God. I'm completely 100% confident that I'm sharing with you what the God of heaven wants you to know and has told you and offers to you to have that confidence that what you have been told, what you have been taught is the truth. What you have embraced in your life, regardless of what all the voices in our culture are saying, what all the, the crazy doctrinal aberrations out there are proposing, you know the truth. The truth is here in the Word of God. We know we have eternal life. We teach security. We teach assurance. We teach confidence. We teach sure hope. Those born of Christ living the right ways, loving truth, loving God, loving the Christian family, have right now and forever eternal life. As we hold to our foundational creeds, there's no shift, there's no theological innovation with us. Any teaching that undermines our, your confidence is false teaching. Ow. If we have received what God has given us, we love him with all of our hearts through obedience and live lives that please him. We now have eternal life. We know we have it. And therefore, if we know that we have eternal life, we're not ashamed anymore. We don't feel guilty anymore. We don't feel insecure anymore. And when you don't feel guilty and you don't feel shame and you don't feel insecurity, you know what that brings into your life? A bold approach to God. 
I can go to God. I can go to God with confidence, with assurance, with security, with my sins forgiven. I'm not guilt-ridden. There is something very, very powerful and rich about being able to go to God with a clean heart. That's what makes it so important that we keep a short account with God and live closely to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure that, that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. That we might have confidence to go to him, approach him. That's what the next verse says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what, he, what we asked of him. We have confident communication with God. But before we ask anything, all of this is based on two very important things in terms of confidence in prayer, confidence in answered prayer. One is relationship with God, the Father, as your Father. And two is the content of your request. And you can't have the right content in your request if you don't have the right relationship with God. The whole idea here is that we spend time in the presence of God learning and listening to God. That we might get to know him and know him as our father. And when you know him as your father, you know how to go to him and you know what to ask him for. Any of us who had a, a, an earthly father we had a great relationship with, you know what you could go to your father and ask for and what you couldn't go to and ask for. I could ask my father till I was blue in the face if I could watch a Bruin game on Sunday and I know the answer before I even go. In our house, my dad had a basic system about what this Sunday was all about. You know, the Lord's Day to keep holy. And he had, a, he had a system of what that really meant. And it certainly didn't include watching the Bruins beat up the Leafs on Sunday. He was a Leafs fan. And I knew that there was no point because I, 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 was, I lived with him, I listened to him, I learned from him, I loved him, I love him. There was no point in me asking him for something that was against his will. And because I knew him so well, I could ask him for things that were likely to happen. And this is the reality of this kind of confidence in prayer. It's, it's not about, prayer is not about seeking to bend the will of God. Prayer is about knowing our, our God as our Father and seeking to allow Him to bend our wills to His will. And that's how you get answered prayer. If we ask, it says then that right there, if we ask anything according to His will. Doesn't it say that? Don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. Doesn't it say that? I'm not telling you something that isn't there. That's what makes me so infuriated about the, the, the ridiculous doctrines out there about how to approach God and get what you want. Like God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God's going to make you all prosperous and all of that. All you have to do is like give me a hundred bucks and God's going to make you wealthy. Listen, if offerings made people wealthy, I'd be a millionaire every year. And so would most of you. You'd be multimillionaires if you could sow your $100 seed faith and it would somehow grow in a hundredfold. I'm telling you, I'd be a millionaire every year. So what happened to me? 
doesn't work for me. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy what's out there and the whole idea of what we can ask God for and what we should expect God to give us. Listen, if you have to bribe God with some money to get an answer to prayer, it's not in the will of God. That's not how it works. We need to chase these charlatans out of so-called Christianity because they're not Christians. The message isn't Christian. It's false teaching. And, and it's steering everybody in a bad direction. And people are looking at Christians saying, Christians are crazy. They're, they're horrible. I don't want to follow Christ. I, I gave my last $100 that I should have given to my landlord. I didn't get any money back from God. I don't believe there is a God. That's horrible theology. God answers our prayers when we spend time with him, obey his commands, know what pleases him, learn, listen, live with him, and then the content of our prayers are no longer some sort of circus theology, but are right to the heart of God. This is confidence, that we have Jesus Christ, that we know the heart of God, and he's our father who loves us and we can ask him for things and he will hear us. And when he hears us, he will answer our prayers. Some say, well, if God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do, why would we bother praying? Why would we pray if God wasn't sovereign? And it goes on to say about prayer here, and we, we've lost our time here, but if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray. I just want to say this. We pray for people instead of talking about them. You know, John is so exercised about sin that he, he makes the point here, if you see your brother or sister sin, call out to God for them. Don't run to another person to tell them what you saw or what, oh, this sin, I saw this sin. No, no, sin is so heinous. Sin is so destructive. Sin leads to death. Sin should, should, sin should so break our hearts that all we can do is fall to our knees and pray, oh, God, help my sister. Help my brother get out of this. This is going to steal their heart away. This is going to lead them away from you. Oh, God, please save them and help them from this horrible situation. Sin can progress from careless to deliberate to apostate. And the teaching here is, is this losing, ten, is this a, um, John now throwing out the whole idea of, 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 of our eternal confidence in our salvation? No, he's not throwing that at all. Not at all. There's a tension in John, the tension in all of the scriptures. Sin leads to death Sin unabated will lead to death. And no salvation theory will keep you saved if you're living a life that's full of sin. And that leads us to the next reality. We, we don't keep sinning. Listen, I don't know what he's talking about here, the sin that leads unto death. I don't know. I studied, I've studied this many times over and over again. There are so many theories about it. I, I just don't find any of them compelling. I do know his church knew. And all I know is this. It's bad. And you don't want to go there. And sin is bad. And you don't want to keep sinning. And all I know is that the issue of this is you need to take sin seriously. It steals your life. It steals your soul. It steals everything from you. You continue in sin. You continue to be trapped in sin. It will turn you into a shell. You will be eaten alive inside, it leads to death. And it's so serious that we're to fall on our knees and pray for each other. 
That's what we believe. That's who we are. We demonstrate whose arms we are in. It says here in verse 20, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. What we know is this. Uh, God, anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe. In other words, Jesus keeps us safe. You know what it says here? He holds us. Remember when Jesus prayed for Peter? He said, Peter, listen, Satan, Satan's going to come after you. He's coming after you hard. He wants to sift you like wheat. And I've prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, in other words, your faith is going to fail. But I've prayed that it won't fail because I need, if Jesus needs to pray for us, do you think we don't need to pray for each other? And, and when, you, when you turn back, then strengthen your brothers. When you, have di- when you have seen what the power of God can do to rescue you from a sinful direction, you go and minister to your brothers. That's the message here. And it says that Jesus is holding us here. And it, it, it makes the point here that the rest of the world is nestled in the arms of the evil one, and they don't even know. They're relaxed in the arms of the evil. This is the desperate. This is why our hearts are desperate for evangelism. The, the people who are lost, they don't even know they're lost. They're laying in the arms of a cobra. They're, 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 uh, they're relaxed in the arms of the evil one. And it says here that the Christ who holds us will not allow the evil one to grab hold of us and touch us. We don't keep sinning. We don't keep sinning because Jesus lives in us and he holds us and he won't let us. And because of this, we are drawn to the truth. We know the truth and we are drawn to it. We know also that the Son of God, verse 20, has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What powerful doctrine this is that Jesus has given us the gift of understanding the truth, faith to believe that he is the true God and eternal life. We don't ignore it. If you're truly a believer, you don't ignore it. You don't resist it. You don't argue about it. You don't have doctrinal arguments about what Jesus is and what he can do and all. You don't have all of that. He gives us understanding and we know the truth. We embrace the truth. We accept the truth. We receive the truth. We receive the truth as it's plainly recorded in the scriptures. And then finally, all of this is summarized up in verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. He makes this final point. There is this testimony from God the Father who loves you and gave you his son that he would die for you, that you might be forgiven and might have a relationship with him. And he moves into your life and he changes you. And you have confidence, insurance, and you have eternal life and all of that. You can pray, you can do this. But but you, you have to keep yourself from idols. You have to keep yourself away from things that try to steal you away from God, things that are substitutes for God things that become powerful in your life so that you no longer depend upon God. Listen, every idol starts out as usually something good. It's not usually something bad. It's something that meets a need that we have. And, and too often we allow the need, instead of the need to be met, we start to accumulate and gather. And we think, well, if, if I could just get more of that, I would never have anything close to that need again. And, and, and guess what happens ultimately when that starts to happen? I don't even need God anymore. 
I accumulate so much that I, I, don't, I don't live in dependence of God anymore. And, and he's saying, listen, you've got to be really careful because God is going to bless you. So keep yourself very carefully in, in line with God. Keep yourself very carefully in contact with God. Make sure that you keep yourself dependent upon God because it is so easy for something good to become something very bad that becomes something very God-like in your life instead of God. We guard ourselves against idols. Father, you have outlined for us, even in this brief section of Scripture, a massive amount of truth, who we are. And I pray, oh God, that we would welcome this creed. This is our community creed. This is who we are. This is what we believe. And I pray, oh God, that you would strengthen us so much so in our beliefs and the truth that we would be able to withstand the incredible barrage of untruth that is out there. Oh God, for us, it seems that discernment is no longer about what is true and what is false. But for us, we need to be able to discern what sounds true and what is true. Would you please help us, Lord? Because we need your help. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we draw into the fall ministry ter term, we've, uh, we've tried to establish who we are through the scriptures. My question is, who are you this morning? Have you come to a place in your life where you've responded to the offer of salvation and received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as only Savior and Lord of your life? We're here to show you how to do that this morning. Our pastoral staff will be here. I guess I'm asking the question this morning of all of us to sort of search our souls and say, what's, what's going to be our spiritual upgrade for this year? What, what is going to be our, our desire? We're going to take it another level. It doesn't mean getting, maybe getting into this discipling community. Maybe, maybe you haven't been baptized yet. What, what's stopping you? The lineup starts here this morning. Come and talk to me. Maybe it's getting to know the Father in heaven more. Maybe you haven't spent time with him learning about him, learning to listen to God so that your prayer life has confidence you can talk to him. He'll hear you. I, I don't know what it is, but um, we'd love to talk to you or maybe just want to pray with us this morning about something that's on your heart. Our staff will be here. We'd love to meet with you. When people are going that way, you come this way. We'd love to talk to you. This is important stuff. I said to my prayer group this morning, I said, uh, this is the most important sermon I've ever preached in my life. And quite honestly, as I was saying it to them, I thought, you know what, but actually, I feel that way every Sunday. But I especially feel that way this Sunday. Next Sunday, it's going to be the most important sermon I ever preached to. <laughs> you know, when you open up God's word, God speaks to you. It's the most important lesson. It's the most important teaching you'll ever have. Don't leave with ignoring what God is saying in your heart today. Whatever that would be, don't, don't leave and ignore it. Don't let it go away. Act on it. God is here. He is speaking to us. Oh, Father, I pray this morning. I thank you. It, it's been good. It's been rich. 
to be here today. And you are working on our lives. And I pray that we would not resist your work. Uh, because you're asking us for some things that maybe we don't want to do. Maybe it's a little, little, um, a little difficult for us. But, oh, God, your, your power and presence is ours. So I pray, Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, that we will respond to your word. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.